Hello and welcome to Eve Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from A Haunting in Venice, uh, the third in Kenneth Branagh's uh, direct, self-directed uh, performances as Poirot. Uh, it started with uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which we saw on the podcast, continued with Death on the Nile, which we saw on the podcast, and now Haunting in Venice, uh, which is based on uh, Halloween Party, obviously by Agatha Christie. Um, again, as with all Agatha Christie, I didn't know the story, didn't know who'd done it, didn't know what was going to happen and so on. Was this a story you were familiar with? I wasn't, actually. And, and, you know, I'm a fan of Agatha Christie. I've been seeing the films all my life and uh, uh, the TV shows and so on. But uh, this is uh, one I wasn't familiar with. Just and I've read, I thought I'd read, like, it's hard to know whether you've read all her novels because there are so many. But, you know, I certainly went through a period in my teenage years where I read everything I could get of Agatha Christie's. Mm. Uh, it appears that uh, a film has not been made of this story before, but it was adapted as part of the David Suchet TV programme, right. which is to be expected because there are about 5,000 episodes of that. Right, right, I right. I think they did them all. And this is coming out around Halloween time. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, I would say, has less of a procedural feel to it than the previous two films did in favour of um, edging towards horror to some degree. Certainly supernatural or or is playing with the supernatural, you know, apparitions, things like this. And it's, it's set at Halloween. The film explicitly says the Tina Fey character, who is an Agatha Christie analogue, uh, a horror uh, author who takes credit for Poirot's fame, she is American and explicitly says... We Americans have brought you loud music and something else, but we've also brought you Halloween. And it's Halloween, and kids are dressed up in masks and stuff, and we end up locked in a purportedly haunted house um, seeking the answers to a murder or two. And Poirot is coming out of retirement. So, again, this is the thing, the thing, the thing that you, one of the things you most dislike about these films is the focus on Poirot as Ugh. so key. It's his story and stuff. Whereas Poirot is, is supposed to be the guy who comes in and the, the, the people's stories that are important are those of the victims and the, and the potential murderers and so on and so it's forth. It's completely arrogant, yeah. I think. Of, and, you know, it's been a problem each time, but it's particularly bad this time, I felt. Very, very heavy again on the Poirot. Although it doesn't quite... It doesn't have a scene to rival the opening of Death on the Nile, which was about Poirot during the war and seeing him you know, before no. he was a detective and so on. But it is still all about him. Um, the war thing, though, I think is interesting. And the whole film is informed by being set in post-war Europe. Um, everyone has come back from the war, been affected by it in some way. You've got the Hungarian character. I should say spoilers will be coming up. I don't know exactly when I'm going to start spoiling stuff, but let's say spoilers are coming up. Um You've got the two young Hungarian characters who um, have been displaced by war and looking to make their way to America, looking for ways to make money on the way. Um, you've got the Doctor character who was who served and liberated Bergen-Belsen and, um, and was unable to save um, countless uh, victims of the Holocaust that he encountered. It pervades the film. I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, to me, I think it's the worst 
Agatha Christie adaptation I have ever seen. It's completely misguided. Uh, and I think part of what's wrong with that is that attempt at attributing significance in those ways, which actually trivializes everything. Uh, you know, it attempts to kind of give them more import than they have. I mean, this is a whodunit kind of, you know, the reason why Agatha Christie is so popular and so enjoyable to watch on film is because you have this exotic locations, these sumptuous places, a murder committed in them that are committed by these types that are recognizable types, right? And who are usually kind of upper class with a kind of a sprinkling of, of, of lower class people. This thing of, you know, escapees from uh, 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 pogroms and, uh, you know, shell-shocked doctors and so on. I kind of, you know, it isn't really carried through. It's kind of something that's there. Uh, and I, that I think actually kind of trivializes it. I agree it's not carried through thoroughly enough. Um, but like I say, it does inform the film and it gives it a certain, you know, there's a kind of, there's a kind of, the whole film is, is about people kind of, I don't know, living through or or coming to terms with grief of various sorts. I mean, the whole, the backstory to, to the house um, and the uh, woman who owns it is that she lost her daughter there. Um, and that's, you know, and and how did she die? You know, jumped out of a window, suicide into into the, one of the canals. That sense of grief kind of pervades the whole thing. And then the question is, did she do it? Well, it was it a suicide? Did someone do it to her? Is the house haunted, as the Camille Catan character thoroughly believes? And we start off with this seance that is... Um, supposedly going to going to speak to her. Um, I, I hated every moment of the film. Um, also, just look at the, and the other thing with Poirot himself is is he is thoroughly disillusioned, um, and I think this this is related to the 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 post war thing. He is thoroughly disillusioned with kind of with 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 human behaviour, and, and particularly they keep on talking about the soul and and does God exist and so on, and he is completely you know um, has no um, sympathy. For that at all, um, again, though I, I agree with you that this is something that is very generally in the film, and if and that is the thing, the thing about Poirot and the soul and God is the strand of this, which is it, which it's most thoroughly trying to work through and turn into a character arc, and it doesn't sell it. I mean, what it should have been trying to work through is the mechanics of the filming the characters, their relationship to each other, how they're introduced, how they're connected, how they're revealed, right? And really, so much of this is about Poirot, who was simply not interesting. I mean, you know, I was thinking while watching it that, you know, to me, Kenneth Branagh as a director is the nadir. He's as bad as you can get. You know, he's somebody who has an idea of how things should be, yeah, but actually who can't do them somehow, right? As an actor, he's marmitey, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people love him. People think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. You know, other people don't like him. But what I've decided in this, whether he is marmitey as an actor, that is definitely on stage or on TV, he doesn't carry enough interest on film. And actually, very few of these characters do. Usually, kind of, you know, these films have been... Um, each of these roles is like a kind of an all-star vehicle where you have, like, generally, 
you know, great stars of yesteryear, right? Because these Agatha Christie films they always have a nostalgic element. They always evoke a kind of a nostalgia mm -hmm. for this idea of how things used to be, right? Which goes contrary to this, like, you know, escape from the Nazis thing. Um, you know, but kind of all, almost all the TV series and almost all the, the films done previously, you know, they have that nostalgia, you know, that nostalgic element, really. And so, you know, using stars like Lauren Bacall or, you know, or Sean Connery, Betty Davis, Maggie Smith, you know, kind of different films have had uh, kind of David Niven, Angela Lansbury. Yeah, kind of there's always a mixture of like these stars from yesteryear, certainly in the first uh, Murder on the Orient Express, it was almost all stars from yesteryear, uh, Richard Whitmark, Ingrid Bergman, you know, kind of in, in some of the others, there's a sprinkling of more contemporary people, Mia Farrow and so on, uh, you know, and then kind of, you know, the role of Poirot is you know, to solve the murder and maybe to witness. And, you know, at the beginning, he's almost anonymous, you know, like he just happens to overhear something or, you know, the focus is on these stars. This one is completely the opposite. The film that focuses entirely on Poirot and kind of the casting is off because I suppose you can call, you know, Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Dornan uh, uh, stars and then Tina Fey, I suppose, is very recognizable. They're completely dead on screen, you know, from television. Uh, the other people are, are, are really unknown. So he's playing with the formula for Agatha Christie in ways that seem very you know, at best unlucky, but really, I think, ill-informed. Yeah, he's kind of, he's doing something different that jeopardizes what was and that doesn't succeed in kind of conveying whatever it is he's doing it. And I think he does that on every level, right? From the casting to, you know, the, the, the choice of camera angles. It was driving me crazy, you know? Uh, so so uh, these uh, close-ups alternated in, no yeah, kind of, you know, with a normal kind of lens, alternating with these huge distortive, you know, widescreen things filmed behind candelabra where you can barely make out what's happening. You know, just, just these stupid shots that I think, you know, were meant to convey, you know, the things were skewed and maybe the possibility of, of, of the supernatural cumulatively, but that at any given point seemed completely unmotivated. Like you didn't know why the camera was there or why kind of, you know, this distortive lens was being used. It really was driving me nuts. <laughs> and I hated it. I hated it, right? Because, and that's what I'm saying that, you know, uh, Branagh as a director to me strikes me as someone who knows of the possibilities of cinema. Yeah, he knows that mm. kind of playing with the lenses and playing with angles and so on. Because yeah. it doesn't even occur to some directors. That's right. That. So how that can bring dynamism to the screen. It seems to me that he almost inevitably always makes the wrong choices. Yeah, they kind of they seem unmotivated. Yeah, you know. Yeah, do you know what you mean? Because I think the film, it, in the way it's um, shot and it's it's in the kind of production design overall as well, is clearly going for a gothic supernatural yes. horror, you know, kind of thing. Um, and and you can see it, it reaching for that, but it's it's not um, it's not doing it well enough. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, in other places, a noise will make you jolt out of your seat, or you know, kind of the wind fluttering, or even the creation of ambiance in the haunted house, like, 
you know, I wanted to see that beautiful palazzo. And I want, yeah, I mean, he doesn't even let you see it. It's all either dark or distorted. So mm. you actually never get a sense of the place, why the place meant so much to the character, you know, why it's now run down, why it could be mistaken for being haunted, like kind of, you know, the basic ABCs of, of, of film directing are just absent. It was really... Like, you know, you you said I kept kind of moaning through the film and I wasn't conscious of being moaning, mm. of moaning. But those things really irritated me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the combination of that mobile camera then, right? You know, yeah, well, which I really hated as well. That's <laughs> um, certainly an aspect of, of Branagh's uh, style in directing these films that we don't see in previous ones. So, if, you know, if you think about the difference between the... Um, Sidney Lumet's Murder on the Orange Express and, and Branagh's. Um, Branagh's, you can't wait to get out of the train. All the time he's showing you shots from outside the train, the, the drama of the storm that they're caught in. There's a point where Poirot is running on top of the train for whatever reason. The climatic scene takes place outside of the train in, that, in the sort of tunnel that they've just come out of and so on. Things are constantly happening outside of the train, whereas Lumet's version is in the train. It's claustrophobic. The frame is filled with people. And you know you get the sense of it's, it's it has a feeling of like um like the thing almost of like mm. we are stuck here. I mean, That's actually, right. the, to be fair, the, the thing in particular has a lot of shots of outside the base just to kind of that makes the um that makes the outside into you know, saying hostile and shows just how isolated they are. It's not the case in in Branagh's version. It's about it's about freeing up the action, you know, because then Lamette's you you get that claustrophobia and that feeling of what people. What what tensions will rise in you know kind of boiling the the, the pressure cooker sort of thing, um, and and you and I think that's it, he's actually he's much more consistent here about staying inside the building. We go up to the roof at one point. That's as far outside as we get pretty much. But he's not very effectively making it into you know a, into a, a, a pressure cooker haunted house. Those kinds of things that it should be doing. Mm. Um, it's not very effective. No, um, and I thought there was a real egocentric betrayal of the other actors, right? Like, you know, so for example, I thought Michelle Yeoh was very good, right? You know, but the way that she was photographed, like, you know, you could have made her seem more glamorous or or, or more otherworldly or, you know, and, and she was the best, really. The others, I kept thinking, why were they even cast, right? Like, I thought Tina Fey was very bad. I thought she was completely dead behind the eyes. And actually, there were laughs in some of her lines. And she didn't really, you know, you expect her to be really good at that. Yeah. And she wasn't. And then the others, like the mother, you know, kind of that, that would have been kind of like a great part for some some star from yesteryear who meant something to the audience, right? Mm. You know, instead, I don't know who she is, right? Um, so this is like a kind of a weirdly cast Agatha Christie big budget movie. Yeah, well it's a slightly cheaply cast one, really. Yeah, very much. And I know. think and it feels like the um the prestige of being in a big budget uh Poirot film um has you know has lost some of its luster since the previous two. Although it is making money, um but it feels like um it feels like maybe they couldn't attract no. I don't think this one made very much money. Well, it's out at the moment. It, it's made over a hundred million so far. That's not very much for this kind of film. But we'll we'll, we'll see. Right. We'll see. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, you know, I think it's interesting that a lot of the conventions of the um, Agatha Christie film 
are now being done much better by that. What was it? The Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson. Yeah, but the, the you know, films. and the casting is an example of that, right? You have people like Kate Hudson, you know, in the other film, and I think, uh, uh, and 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 you know, current pop stars and so on, right? Like kind of ev almost everyone in those films is someone you recognize or that kind of contribute meaning in some way. Yeah, contribute kind of something by what they sit, why their star personas signify to mm. the characters they play, you know, which is, you know, not the case here. I mean, and actually the person who I think was treated the worst was, is it Isabelle or Claudette Cotin? Camille Cotin. Camille Cotin, the actress from Dispoussant, who's such a joy to watch in Dispoussant, mm. you know, and here she's very unattractively photographed, uh, uh, you know, and 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 uh, uh, um, I, I feel there's a real kind of betrayal of the actress, really. Um, but also, you don't expect a mass audience to necessarily know who she is on, or what she brings. No, I'm she's been sure. in some America. We saw her in Stillwater and one or two other things. Mm. So she's receiving some exposure to uh, English-speaking audiences, yeah. but primarily she's not very well known. Yeah. So um, anyway, I kind of... The success of Branagh as a filmmaker kind of really escapes me. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I've, I've watched almost all his films. Uh, I very much remember enjoying his Henry V, right? And I think the Belfast film that he did, right? I think there was such a joy in the writing and the performers, though I think even then I argue that some of the direction was quite terrible. Yeah, I don't remember us liking it very much. No, you, I don't think you did. No, no, um, both of us. I mean, well, I, 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 I love Jamie Dornan in that, and I love the interplay sure, between yeah. him and his wife. I thought some of the direction was just terrible, mm. really, and sentimental. That that you know, the, the use of Judy Dench in that was, I thought, I thought beyond the pale. Um, but he's someone who's got who's done a lot of hits. Yeah, it's kind of it's very interesting that uh, um, you know he's he's. He's had hits, but uh, golly, like uh, uh, I think Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a hit. I think that again was a hit. I don't see Peter's Friends here. Is this? Um, yeah, Peter's Friends as director. Uh, Henry V in 89, uh, Dead Again 91, Peter's Friends 92, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, Frankenstein in the Bleak Midwinter, Hamlet, Love's Labour's Lost. So a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah, then he kind of got out of his Shakespeare groove. Uh, Listening. Oh, that's a short film, never mind. Uh, As You Like It, that's more Shakespeare. <laughs> um, the Magic Flute, Sleuth. Then Thor, which was all different because then yeah. getting into Marvel. And, and his Thor film, I think he only did the one. It's not that fondly remembered. It's no. very well remembered for its obsession with Dutch angles, um, but not a lot else. Uh Jack Ryan, he did a Jack Ryan film. Really? Uh, Cinderella, Murder on the Orange Express, uh, All is True. I don't know that. I don't know that one. Artemis Fowl, Belfast, Death on the Nile, and this. Okay. And I think he's got a Bee Gees film coming up. So I've seen really like 80% of his filmography. Uh, and kind of, he's somebody who, you know, was never great to begin with, but seems to get worse, you know, as, as the years go by. I don't understand you know, how he keeps getting financed, except, I suppose, you know, uh, uh, he he landed Thor, 
uh, and it made money. And then the first Orient Express, you know, kind of made money. Um, well, each of them has clearly made enough to warrant making another one. Making so another far. one, yeah. So, uh, uh, although I don't quite agree with you uh, on his presence as an actor, I'm, I'm kind of doing this, I think, because it's it the character. None of the characters is well developed enough, and Poirot is one of them. Um, which you wouldn't normally complain about, but the, the, the film is seeking to make him into more of a, an important character than he otherwise would be. Um, but I was just, I just happened to rewatch quite a lot of Tenet the other day, and um, and I really liked. I mean, he's quite hammy in it. You know, he's very sort of typical Russian Bond villain. I want well, to kill everyone, but uh, I did like him in it, and you know, I think. I mean, I, 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 as I said, he's very marmitey as an actor, mm. uh, but I think for me, he's not a film star, no. right? And he doesn't have that charisma. So, which is which is why I'm saying that he might work better on television or on the stage. You know, because uh, I mean, some people are very enthusiastic about him; they think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. Mm. You know, um, I think it's interesting that you know he's had he's had success like Wallander and so on. Um, but, you know, he's not the t- he's not a film star. He just isn't. But he's casting himself as one. <laughs> yes, he's giving himself the opportunity. Because if you see, like, uh, the rest of his, uh, you know, filmography, I mean, he will have leading roles, but it's rare that a film is built around him, you know. And so I'm not disputing whether he's good or he's not good. You know, I'm just saying that he's not a film star. No, he's not a star, but um, he he can be uh, quite a quite a pleasant um, character actor. Yes, I mean, I you know, I have uh, I have enjoyed him as such, but this calls for more. You know, you have to want to continue looking at him, and he has to surprise you, and so on. And he just doesn't in, in this film, I think. No, you know, to the point where I was watching these close-ups with him, and I was so bored that I was saying, my God, somebody should have done better with that moustache. You know, the moustache is too neat. You can see that it's glued on. You know, mm. the little thing on his chin has three curly cues that are so neatly placed. Yeah. Mm. So, and really, if you're looking at a close-up of an actor and you're just thinking about, you know, how bad the hair job is, there's a problem with the actor. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, I, I, I didn't have high expectations going in. Um, I liked the first film more than you did. Um the second, I wasn't impressed with. Um, and this I would have happily missed. Yeah. Well, um, I, I want to, I, you know, my friends had all complained about how bad it was. But I want to see it. I want to see it because I really like Michelle Yeoh. You know, I really love Jamie Dornan. Uh, I really like Tina Fey. And I love Venice. And I love Agatha Christie, right? So, you know, sometimes people say it's terrible. And you think, well, how bad can it be? Because, you know, I often watch, like, Agatha Christie... Um, movies or TV shows at home and you know you're just quite happy like even if it's not very good it kind of for some reason it's a very pleasant watch Mm. right you know so I did go to it with an open mind but I really do think that it's terrible and actually kind of looking at uh, the Metacritic thing where 75% of the critics gave it positive reviews you know kind of my question is like what does that say about film criticism at the moment, really? I'm appalled. Mm. On that note, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. 
On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>